Hallo, ich bin Fadjerash für Gaelic Song Stories und Podkrulich für den Bemische, der die Gremach und Thirst zu lernen Skielachen in Kulaf Nanoran. Hallo und welcome back to Gaelic Song Stories with me, Deirdre Graham. I am delighted to be joined today by Gaelic singer and lecturer Gilibrija Macmillan. A native of South Uist, Gilibrija was immersed from childhood in the Gaelic-speaking community of Gyarivalthus, where Gaelic customs and traditions remained among the strongest in Scotland. Gilibrija is a regular performer at music festivals in Scotland and throughout the world, and he has worked as a cataloger for Toprandulchish and also devised and developed song collecting and revitalization projects Gu Inir and Ekinyeskach. His self penned album Friavan Falichja or Hidden Roots, which was launched in 2018, received critical acclaim and one reviewer said it was an enormously significant album, the writing poignant, direct, and the music inventive and passionate. Gilibrija has written a new album of original songs, which will be released in 2022, and I am thrilled that he shares a krimak or fragment of one of them during our conversation today. In this week's podcast, we take a sidestep from the songs themselves and look into the Taikeli or Kaley House, the role it played in the community and its role in the transmission of Gaelic songs and stories. The Cayley House was the hub of the community in every village, a meeting place where work and socialising converged, where old and young shared in traditions and practices, and where the Barst Bala or Town Bard broadcast the local news amongst the community. As we move away from the Cayley House, we also look into the unbroken chain of Gaelic song composition, despite the many changes in society as the Gaeltoch moved into an age of modernity, and how new compositions sit in the continuum of Gaelic song traditions. Peppered throughout all of this, we have a Cayley of our own, one that you are welcomed into warmly. I hope you enjoy. More than thank you, Gilbrite, or Sonavi, Namuchuchuk and Ju. Thank you so much, Gilbrite, for talking to me today and giving me your time. Shetavet, it's good to be here. Now, with your own upbringing in South Uist, steeped in language, song, and culture, and teamed with your work as a performer as well as a lecturer at the University of Glasgow, you come highly respected and revered as a voice of authority <laughs> in, in this area today. <laughs> oh well, thank you very much. And uh, yeah, I suppose I was just very lucky to grow up in a in a place and in a family that kind of had very strong uh, kind of kind of roots in Gaelic singing, Gaelic poetry, and so on. And uh, yeah, so it's something I love, and it's it's a delight to be able to teach it and perform as well. Yeah. Um, today, I'd like us to take a look at the culture surrounding the Cayley House or Thai Cayley, and. I would like us to, to delve into the the purpose of it and the the purpose it served in bringing people together. And I kind of think of it as the beating heart of the community. Um, in fact, I've got a, a quote here that I took from Margaret Callan's book. It's actually another quote from McKean. It says, the Cayley House, it was the context for social interaction. The role of the Tehan Cayley in transmitting rural Highland culture cannot be over- overemphasized. Yeah, and I think that's so too, because so many 
of the villages, or even every village would have a Cayley house where people would gather in the long winter evenings. And I think it's important to say it wasn't necessarily something that went on all year mm-hmm. because in summer they were hard working outside, making use of the long daylight hours. Yeah, of course. But in winter, um, they would have time when it was dark to come together, to sing, to tell stories, to talk about slonyu, which is the patronymics, who you belong to, which is so, so important. And uh, when you're doing all of that, the people would have been working as well. So you're they're either fixing nets, fixing creels, uh, fixing baskets, carding, uh, spinning, all those type of jobs that you could do whilst listening, whilst telling stories, whilst singing songs were done. And so the community coming together in those circumstances meant that it was a, a very warm kind of environment where mm. people shared stories, listened and did their work at the same time. That's that's a really interesting point because I think that my idea or our idea of a Cayley nowadays is so far removed from this idea of a Cayley. And maybe we can chat a bit about what the word Cayley actually means. Yeah, so the actual word Cayley is in Gaelic means, I suppose, to go visiting. So mm-hmm. we'd say adult ed Cayley, so you're going visiting. And when you're visiting, you do all those things which I mentioned before, mm-hmm. singing, telling stories, playing a tune, talking about patronymics, talking about local anecdotes, stories mm-hmm. and so on. And in in those circumstances, in many ways, you had a captive audience. And yeah. that meant that when people were composing songs, they were composing songs for those audiences. And there are lots of stories about how wonderful the memories of people in, in the past were, that they could hear yes. a song, they could hear a story, and they only had to hear it once and then they could recite it the next night at another Cayley house. So in many ways, so many of the songs and stories were passed on uh, in the community just by people hearing them once and so on. So that's sometimes incredible. that's led to has having variations of songs. Mm-hmm. So you'd have uh, a song which has a slightly different word in one village to another village because it was yep. just passed on differently. Yeah. yeah. Um I think that that's absolutely incredible. And I, I think so far removed from <laughs> I think of learning songs and it takes me a while, <laughs> you know, getting those words in my head. But it, it, I suppose that was a time where just people's lives were drenched and it wasn't just at the Cayley house itself. You know, it yeah. was their very essence of them, their very being. Because everything that they they did would have had a soundtrack attached to it, but it was their own yeah. personal soundtrack, yeah. as it were. So, if you were uh, carding the wool, you'd be singing a rhythmic song for that. When you'd be spinning that wool, you'd you'd have a rhythm for that. Then walking the tweed, clapping songs. All of those things connected to the wool mm-hmm. uh, and wool making and cloth making would have their own songs. Uh, reaping songs, if you were cutting, rowing songs, if you were out rowing, mm-hmm. anything like that. In laborious terms of rhythm, work. Anything laborious well. work. And mm-hmm. all these songs made that a little bit more interesting. And then when you'd have time in the evening, then you could have the ballads, the kind of story songs uh, where you were maybe telling the story in the first instance and then somebody would sing a song 
based on that. Later on, I suppose, in the early 20th century, the kind of the, the Barsh Bala, which mm-hmm. would be, I suppose, called, called the village poets, mm-hmm. they would compose songs about events that were happening in those villages. I, I think of them sometimes as a bit like the newspapers of their day. Yeah. Because if something funny, something sad, something important happened in that community, they would then compose a song which would then be shared in the local Cayley House, yeah. which then would be spread uh, further and wider as well. So it's it was a really important way of yeah. sharing out uh, the culture as well. Yeah, absolutely. Just, just to bring back a point there, you were talking about the carding and the spinning and everything. So in my mind, I think growing up, you know, I've learnt songs about all these different work practices. So would they... I, I've always kind of, in my mind, had a picture of them happening away from the Cayley House. So would it almost be in two parts you would have that happening at at the time of work and then again at the Cayley House? Yeah, so I suppose they would have the, the carding songs when they would be doing the work during the day. Right. And in the evening, I suppose, when they were sitting other carrying on doing that carding song, uh-huh. not necessarily singing, but in that instance, they may be listening to somebody else who's sharing their song in the evening. But it's important to say there was I think there was there was no time for idling at all. There was no <laughs> time for sitting back and just enjoying you were enjoying and working yeah. uh, at the same time. So, yeah, so I think it's I think that that is an important distinction to make, because my childhood in going to Cayley's would be the village I'm from, Breckish. I've got my my childhood was steeped in going to Cayleys, but it, my Cayleying or Adolich er Cayley wasn't so much. Of course, I went to people's houses, but it, we were we came together at the village hall, and that would have been steeped with, with everyone taking a turn in singing and or playing the pipes. But there would have been dances as well. But it wasn't. It didn't have that work element to it. So I suppose somewhere along the line. That has changed. Yeah, absolutely. So I think so we've probably gone from a, a kind of actively taking part in Cayley's and being active whilst at Cayley's to a kind of passive, you're there to enjoy the music, enjoy mm-hmm. the show as it were. Yeah. And you're, it's it's that kind of moving from active to passive. So growing up, I was kind of the same. We'd have Cayley's, as we call them Cayley's, in uh, Bornish uh, Hall. Mm-hmm. And that would be, again... Um, Somebody or people from the community singing, piping. You might have someone playing an accordion and people would get up to dance as well. So you'd have that kind of Cayley Mm -hmm. as well as people coming visiting. So when people come visiting, they would invariably talk about Slonyuk, which is patronymics, Mm -hmm. who you were related to and who was related to who and so on. Mm -hmm. And stories uh, and anecdotes from the past. So I suppose for me growing up, that kind of... uh, traditional Cayley House or the earlier form of the Cayley House had been separated in the sense that so people come visiting and you talk about those things but for the singing performance that would be done at the Cayley and of course nowadays coming to Glasgow for me was it was kind of one of the things oh we're going to have a Cayley or we're going to do a Cayley and that meant a dance but for me a Cayley is not a dance yeah Uh, it's that kind of shared gathering uh, of people and Another important thing to mention, I suppose, is growing up, is you'd have a Cayley in Bornish Hall and there would be nobody named on the bill, on Mm -hmm. the poster, because you knew 
everybody who'd come along because they would come and share their song. Mm -hmm. So that was a huge change as well, I would say, in kind of 1990s, 2000s, having named people on the bill. So uh, that meant, I think, and I was doing a project on this a couple of years ago in Uist with um, uh, kind of local singers in Uist who no longer had an opportunity to sing Mm. because they used to be asked to sing at Cayley's and so on. But then they they were just weren't being asked because there would be a named person on the bill, yeah, uh, and so on. So there was, we we're just trying to look at ways of trying to re encourage people to sing again and and sing within their own singing traditions, and I think that's really important, just in terms of meeting people, spreading the culture, speaking the language, and so on. So. Absolutely. I wonder if there's maybe a, a sense of loss there, even as recently as the 90s, the 1990s, you know, for people who aren't necessarily going to be performers, you know, in a music industry and kind of yeah. th- there's, a, can I ask, you know, were people feeling that sense yeah, of, I would of say, change? Or? Yeah, I would say people definitely did have a sense of loss in the sense that they would, loss in two senses, I suppose, People who used to sing songs mm-hmm. at Cayley's, at gatherings, were no longer asked to sing because for the capital system we work in, yep. uh, within, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, people were asked, were paying other people to, to, come and, to come in and perform. And so that's a very passive form of enjoying culture. But yeah. for other people who, who didn't even get to that stage of being asked or who weren't at that stage, unless you were going to become a or thinking of going to become a kind of professional or some mm-hmm. semi-professional singer, you were really never given the chance to sing at those Cayleys, which then meant that you weren't learning the songs, which then mm-hmm. meant a loss of confidence, which meant that they just weren't singing at all. So part of the project we were working on was really just giving people the chance to sing songs in a group, yeah. not a choir, but just kind of, here's a song, we're going to learn it. And when there's a Cayley, we're going to sing it. I think that's really important because I, I, I feel that certainly I feel very privileged from my own upbringing to have been steeped in songs, mainly from my mum's influence. Uh, and, you know, you'll have had the same. And to not have that, and certainly schools as well, don't have that that total immersion in them anymore unless you are going to be, become professional and seek it out. Mm. That's, that must become very difficult when you don't have that foundation of that community in, around you. Um, and I think going back to the Cayley House, you know, I, I, I view it as it was such a, a, a respect to old traditions mm. And a respect to the elderly members in the community, as well as almost an immersion and setting a foundation for the youth. It was every age was kind of, would have been Absolutely, immersed in yeah, it. yeah. And I think it's it was it's I think at the end of the day, it comes back to lack of confidence. And mm. what was really interesting for me about uh, seven years ago when I was recording some of these uh, kind of people in in US, some of the older people and some of the younger people as well, just talking to them about about singing, was that. I was speaking to a, an 80, 80 year old plus lady who was a great singer. But what she said to me was that, oh, I've got no songs. Oh. And now I knew she had songs. Uh-huh. 
But then what she said later on was, oh, but I've got no songs compared to those who were recorded in the 1950s. Go to Toprandoch and you'll hear their songs. And it was like, oh, because these people were recorded in the 1950s. Uh-huh. The, even people who were growing up were going, oh, I've got nothing compared to them. Wow. And I think there's that's really, it's a, it's a terrible shame that people feel like that because mm-hmm. what they have is so worthwhile. So precious. Even if, though, even if they... They've never been told it's precious and worthwhile before, but it, it really is. And and I think there's also that when we think of the Cayley House mm-hmm. and s- songs have different variations and mm-hmm. different changes and so on. When a song is recorded, whether that be on Tobrun or a professional recording or even written in a book, it's sometimes it's said as the definitive version of yes. that song. And somebody who's sing, singing a different version in terms of melody or a different words might go and say, oh, I've been singing wrong all these years. Yeah. So there's a real danger of that happening. So I think it's just a way of making sure that that doesn't. <laughs> My washing machine. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think that's a really, really important point about the the kind of puts a definitive version on something. That's something I actually touched on uh, a few weeks ago. I spoke to the William Stewart and we were talking about how um, many hundreds of years ago, there would have been audience interaction where the the audience members would, would heckle the performer. And so the performance wasn't this professional person um, giving the definitive version depending on the audience depending on the occasion you would have a different version arise and and that kind of two way street can you know be be lost a bit and in you know in Tobrandulkas or these recordings where and to, to think on that woman that you were talking about the um, the value of having so many people's voices heard if not recorded but at least heard and passed on just gives that kind of variety and assurance to people as well I would say for yeah and I think that thing you mentioned about the Taikeli being a thing that was going back and forward and that meant that the the Barsh Bala and the singers and those who were there responded Mm. to to events and what was going on yeah and of course one of the big changes that came about was uh the TV and the radio. Yes. And people working. So people having to get up to work the next day meant that they were no longer following the, the times of the the moon and the sun. So yeah. you'd have to get up at a certain day at a time, even in winter. Yeah. Which meant that you'd probably have to go to bed slightly earlier than you would have in the past, which meant that it was might just be easier just to stay at home, listen to the radio, watch the TV. Mm-hmm beamed in English of course so that again was a big change yeah and of, then the Barsh Bala had to deal with this because the way that or the reason you composed songs was for the community to be singing them and to be interested in them mm-hmm. so if you're at the Teikeli and nobody's there nobody's listening to your new song it's not being passed on what's the point of doing it yeah. so that was the kind of existential crisis that some of the bards had so, for example, Dolleling on the Banich, Donald Donald MacDonald, who composed probably one of the most beautiful love songs, Grukahok Nuchvang. Oh. 
die Barstach mobilen, hat Gottgeallig hergeigt, sehr he, after he won the Bardic Crown of the Mod, he stopped writing poetry. No, that was really? the, that was the last song he did, and he 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 say he said in the in the book in the collection of his works, uh, edited by John Angus Macdonald, he says there. So, if people are not singing the songs, if the Taikai ended. There's no point in me doing the songs. Oh, that's heartbreaking. Whereas others, for example, Dolly and Gunnachy, Donald John MacDonald, who he used to compose songs for the Cayley House, but what he decided to do was to write poetry to be read. Mm. And there were others as well. For example, Don Roe Farslick in mm-hmm. Paisley. Um, and he was, of course, he was slightly separate anyway from the community, but a community in Glasgow... But he used to compose songs and send them to Anyosak, Captain Don Joseph uh, McKinnon. And that was his way of getting his songs out in the community by getting Anyosak to sing them. Ehoro halam vod hukin kodam kotraum Nul kapu ganyach kleot Shishin stop and chileon Nada vir shin kaols Mahachors to shin yaun Pyr nyin jinyit kyaols Chabi yor anyor kaun Anam bu ganyach kleot So it's like kind of three ways. Yeah. One stopped completely. One moved to writing poetry to be read mm-hmm. and another one worked very closely with a singer and yeah. he would be giving him his songs and so on. So once the Cayley House came to an end and that transmission came to an end, they had a, well, kind of, those are the three um, ways that that were taken. Yeah. Stopping, changing way or kind of fe- kind of feeding your songs to a singer to be sung. Yeah. I find that really sad because I suppose, you know, for in your first instance there to stop composing altogether, that's that's really upsetting, you know, and what a loss. Oh, yeah. He's a great, you know, great. fan is, is, is beautiful. And to think what else could have come after that, you know. Yeah. So I think it's just one of these. And but they were very much barged, barred within their community for their community. Yeah. And when that community is no longer there, or the another thing they would say is that the community weren't able to understand their songs. Mm. Because even in the 1950s, 60s, they would be saying, the Gaelic of the new generation is terrible compared to the Gaelic of the older generations. I've been saying that for centuries. <laughs> One of the main reasons with the decline in the Cayley House mm-hmm. uh, was the reason for the decline in song composition. So when you're thinking yeah. of song composition in Gaelic from Ambron Bean or mm-hmm. these um, Fenian uh, ballad songs, yes, 
all the way to the clan songs, yep. to Man of Orn and Orin, mm-hmm. to Dolro Fashlik, to the Barsh Ballad of the 1960s, 50s, 60s, 70s. And then suddenly, Nothing. it almost stopped. Almost, okay, yeah. But Murich Macfarlane yeah. carried on with his links with Mairit Nahokanich and uh, composing songs, and then Runrig. And I think we cannot underestimate the importance of Runrig, of Runrig. in continuing that unbroken chain of Gaelic song composition, which has been going on for a thousand years plus, which almost yeah. came to an end. But it continued because... Save for a few, a few folk. But I, I, I suppose then, you know, you, you think back to the Cayley House where it was, it really touched every member of the community's lives at every age, at every level. Um, and, and the reach, I think of, you think of social media in terms of reach and engagement, you think of the reach of that and it would have been everywhere. And on the one hand, that reach is kind of declining where you've got fewer voices composing, fewer opportunities to sing, fewer um, people engaging with it. And then, in a, in a sense, then the reach escalates because you've got a, a... I suppose in my head I can see it like it's narrowing down the number of people who are composing because it's not at every level of society anymore. But then, with professional careers... You start through, I suppose, probably the folk revival, would it be? Nahokanich, um, Runrig, and particularly Runrig, of course. Your your reach then becomes global uh, when you start, when you look at our music industry now. Uh, and, you know, we talked about the confidence that had on just the the normal person in the community singing and sharing their own repertoire. But I suppose, you know, we're thankful that there is a, a very strong music industry that does promote this music. But but then that kind of brings us on to the idea of where I think in my mind, certainly when I was younger and something maybe I've held on to too long is that I think of Gaelic songs and I think of old songs and I sing from a tradition, from a repertoire mm. that was composed a couple of hundreds, three hundreds, four hundreds, many hundreds of years ago. And I think I'm probably guilty of using that as a repertoire and not continuing it. Whereas you're mentioning um, that unbroken tradition of composition. Yeah, and no, I think I think what you're saying is so true. And I think even I I. I love all these old songs and I, I mm-hmm. sing them and I've been singing them for years. And I think the the Gaelic speaking audience likes them as well because mm-hmm. I think it gives people that something they were used to growing up. Mm-hmm. They used to hear these songs, they were taught these songs and it's and they don't hear them very often unless you're going to search them out mm-hmm. because we're surrounded by lots of different music styles by people talking. So you're... You kind of it's hard to get the songs that you're used to or that you knew growing up or as part of your repertoire. Mm-hmm. So when you do have the chance to go to a Kaylee or something, they're few and far between. So you want to hear the songs that you know. And it's there's nothing quite like having the audience singing along with you. It's just so uplifting yes. when you're singing. So there is something wonderful about that. And also I think it's 
it shows that these songs have gone into the tradition. Now, the challenge, mm. I suppose, for modern people, people composing modern songs is getting ways of getting your songs into the tradition. So other yeah. people feel that, oh, I like that song, I'm going to sing it myself. And that's the yeah. wonderful thing that's happened with Runrig. Yes. With Kerkel Hoan, Hemingauru, and also with Milch McFarling songs. It takes a while, but it's also happening with, for example, Marichin and Kuantin, Florin Yichfarling, Angus McPhail song. So it does take 10, 15 years for a song, I think, uh, to get into that kind of community. Oh, that song has been around for a while. I'm going to sing it myself. Do you think that people so, kind of feel that that because it's so either people nowadays like you you compose songs yourself do you or it's very much just on the grasp of living memory in some cases do you feel that people think well that's their song I can't sing that and that's why it takes a while yeah well possibly but it's it's funny enough the, one of the the best things that um, I felt from uh, sharing my own songs uh, mm. was when um, Evie Waddle, for example, came and mm-hmm. asked if she could sing my songs. Lovely. And I thought that was absolutely fantastic. And then there was another choir that asked if they could sing my songs. And it was, uh, I think that's one of the, the things that you want in terms of composing songs is when other people take the songs and make them their own songs. And mm-hmm. so then they're no longer your song. They're just songs that are there. And I think that's the yeah. great thing. I, I suppose that's a real joy because essentially songs and, and music are emotional responses or people have strong emotional responses to them and it resonates with people in certain ways and you make your own interpretations of them, whether it's, you know, we were talking about people having slightly different versions of the songs or whether it's just your interpretation of a song on an on a, an emotional level. That's That's a real joy as a songwriter for you mm. to kind of have people react like that to it. And I think uh, one of the other things that's important to say, and I think in terms of Gaelic song Mm -hmm. composition, is that up until the 1970s, really, there were people writing songs and they weren't necessarily the ones singing them. They would pass them on to the community and then the community Uh, singers would sing them. What I would say nowadays is that those those who are composing Gaelic songs also sing our own songs. So it's that idea oh, of yeah. going from com- people composing songs for other people to sing or for the community to sing to being singer-songwriters in a way. And then, yeah. so that's quite a big change. Yeah. And part of the reason for that is, I think, is if people are writing their own songs but not singing them, they're just going to disappear. Yeah. So I think you, in many ways, have to give your songs that first push by singing them yourself publicly and recording them if you can and so on. And then let the community take them on if they wish or not. So that's really one of the challenges. And I think that is a big change in because in, you really have to give your songs a push nowadays. Yeah. Whereas in the past, in many ways, the Cayley House would have done it for you. Do you think that um, songs that are composed these days have a more um, or rather have a less specific correlation with a community? 
they're kind of more open in their in their themes or so that because you don't have the Cayley House where it's community specific and kind of a commentary of what's going on in that area do you think that songs nowadays kind of open up to a more um oh yeah open themes yeah I suppose there's there's uh, the, when we think of the Barsh Ballad we might think they're very uh local and insular in mm-hmm. some ways and they def- definitely did songs that were very local and specific but they also dealt with world yeah. issues whether yeah. that be politics whether that be war whether that be uh, the decline of the Gaelic language the status of the Gaelic language yeah. and when you think of some of the, the songs that were composed for example in Yellow Van yeah. uh, composed in the trenches in the First World War and you can't get anything more international more yeah, absolutely. Uh, kind of global. More global community than that so yeah. there is that argument but also we just have to accept I think that um the Gaelic community has changed. Yeah. So we are making songs for the Gaelic community, but it's also those who are interested in Gaelic songs from around the world. And I think mm-hmm. there is a huge interest in Gaelic songs from around the world. Sometimes the Gaelic, so- the modern compositions give people who want to learn more about Gaelic the first step in. Yeah. They may be more accessible uh, for them. In terms of language, in terms of subject matter, in terms of kind of the melodies and so on, and then that gives them the first step into then getting to know more about uh, kind of Barsh Bala and other types of Gaelic songs. So it's yeah. That brings us quite neatly on to some of your own compositions, um, which I know that you've composed some. And they're, I, what strikes me of them is their kind of global themes, I suppose, when we think on, um, you know, war, migration, politics. We're all to some leather, <laughs> level, to some level, directly or indirectly affected by those themes. You know, we live in a global society and I suppose, you know, Gaelic has been a global culture for hundreds of years. Mm. Um, And so when you're composing, I I believe you've got a song that you composed for um, the Freedom Fighters. Yeah, so there was uh, a song I composed for Las Sandinistas, which is uh, uh, in Nicaragua. So I was over uh, in, actually, I've been over in South America, but... um, um, in Nicaragua, it was just I was in the CCA and went to see the film. Mm-hmm. Went to the by mistake, I went to the wrong one. <laughs> ended, ended up watching this film, and it was just an amazing story of uh, women who had been freedom fighters in Nicaragua, and then wow. once they got power, with once they were they were fighting with the men, and once the freedom fighters won, the men sidelined the women, so they had to fight again to get women's rights and wow. so on. Um, because so they the women in in effect had to fight twice. Yeah. Um. So I just composed that song because I was just it was such a, a, a great documentary first mm-hmm. of all, but it's also a wonderful story and just mm-hmm. people fight uh, standing up for their rights and having to 
can have to literally stand up uh, for your rights. So. I composed that song and I suppose the way I compose songs is just by thinking of a word and a phrase mm -hmm. and then a melody comes to that and then mm -hmm. a line, next line comes and the next line comes. So I, I suppose I compose songs in the old style of just the melody and the song. So we'd have the an accompanied song, and then uh, we worked with Barry Hall to to kind of bring the kind of or give it a, a musical arrangement for it. But these themes and also kind of personal songs and political songs and historical songs and so on. I suppose they're they're just things that come to me. And they're part of my life and Gaelic speaking life. So just it just seems to happen and it comes to me uh, like that. But I think it's it's just. A, um, yeah, so I would say it's. Composing songs. For me, that's important is composing songs within the tradition, mm -hmm. but also not being restricted by, by the tradition. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think that's a really outward looking and, and openly embracing the tools that you have, you know. Yeah, so I think I also like it. I'm always reminded by this kind of uh, a comment that uh, I was uh, after I sang, I was singing a, a concert of my own songs in mm -hmm. Uist. Mm -hmm. uh, I got some <laughs> funding. And uh, the, the, the hard, I knew it would be the hardest audience. So I'll just sing. <laughs> the home crowd. Oh, because there's, yeah. there's, you know, you're singing, but then you're singing your own songs <laughs> as well. Which is really... <laughs> and, with the uh, people with the uh, arms folded yeah. at the front. <laughs> <laughs> Almost. It was so funny because uh, uh, somebody said, oh, I like your, I like your songs, but I just wish you'd sing Fiki Grai. <laughs> <laughs> And I love a Fiki Grai as well. And it's, it as but well. it's also, we have to think, that song was only 50 or 60 years old. Yeah. And it's it's be quickly became part of the tradition. And I think one of the things that happened in the 1970s onwards, when the Barsh Ballas stopped composing songs, is that people and audiences, in a sense, forgot that we used to compose songs. Yeah. And I think that's a challenge that we have. Oh, we're still composing songs because it's so important as a living tradition yes. and a living language mm -hmm. to carry on singing. We can't just sing old songs. I love the old songs, yeah. but we have to have old songs and new songs as well. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's a really strong and important message. And, and, and you're right, people very quickly forget, forget that. Yeah, so it's even... Um, when you think of Cannon and Gale or Mele mm -hmm. Mulin, Runrig songs, they're so embedded within the tradition now mm -hmm. 
they're not old songs. They're only 40 years old. But it's then... Oh. We have to kind of kind of saying, oh, but we're still new songs and we we can appreciate new songs and appreciate old songs. So I think it's it's part of the thing. It's it's hard, I think, to to get those who are Gaelic speakers interested in new songs. Yeah. So many of the people interested in, I would say, in, in my songs are people who are coming to Gaelic, learning Gaelic yep. or not Gaelic speakers. A different audience. Uh, whereas I would say those who are brought up with Gaelic want to hear the songs that they heard as children. It may be a kind of comforting thing because yeah. I, I love to hear songs that I heard as a child because it's just kind of, oh, it's still Yeah, there's a, there's such a warmth that it just evokes all those memories. And I, I, I have this idea in my head it it's an October night and it's dark outside and it's raining and that the fire on being warm and that all goes hand in hand for songs with me and again that probably harks back to the Cayley house where it would have been winter winter um comings together yeah. so all that idea of coziness and everything and that's a warmth and that's a real kind of and it's also, nostalgia yeah, for and, me and the other thing that's really important and that is it's that bond of all the people there knowing the chorus to Horma Hadi Hargunai or whatever mm-hmm. song it is. So people joining in makes people enjoy those songs. Do you think to some level or, or possibly a quite a great level that some people do look to the older songs as a really trying to treasure something that's been so hard hit against. The language has been so suppressed for many, many years. So as well as modernity and kind of machinery on on the crofts and as well as um, salaried work and people going to work throughout the year and not seasonal anymore. And as well as all these things that we touched on earlier, there's a real people are still kind of grappling and, and not grappling, but just really holding on to the old songs because of the horrific mistreatment of Absolutely, the language. Absolutely, yeah. So part of the things about the archival recordings mm-hmm. and those kind of getting comfort from songs from the past is that people are trying to save what in many ways mm-hmm. has been lost. So I think I kind of think of it sometimes as the an evolving tradition so if for example if you're um going to a folklore festival and people are dressed up in the so- the 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 clothes of mm-hmm. the 1900s for me that's not quite such a an example of a living culture it's it's like this is how we wear so we're going to we wear these clothes and we're going to see how people lived 100 years ago. Mm. What's really important for me is saying, well, we wore these song dresses and wore these clothes 100 years ago and we sang these songs. We're still singing these songs and these and this is how they sound to us now mm-hmm. with uh, accompaniment. And, and that means the second one is a living version 
Exactly. Whereas the first one is a kind of a, a moment in time mm-hmm. which we're getting to look back on, but then you take your clothes off and it's just dead. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's that idea of... Um, yeah, I think the, the living tradition yeah. is really is really important there. And and they, of course, they always did kind of, the songs always did change mm-hmm. and they always did go with, they, they went in trends, they went in fashions, all the songs as well. So, And we, they would have no worries about adding different words here yeah. and there, of course. So, yeah, so I think so it's that, it all comes to back that to that idea mm. of a definitive version because we're looking yeah. for a definitive version because that is the correct version because that was recorded by such and such a person. Mm-hmm. Whereas we forget that the person down the road was never recorded, so their version has disappeared. Yeah. So it's that looking for a definitive version, which you will never be able to get. And if you do get the definitive version, it probably means you've probably stopped that kind of living, evolving tradition. So yeah, uh, living means things that are a bit fuzzy and uneven and not quite there and late and so on, uh, which means that is living and ongoing. Yeah, yeah, that's lovely. I'd like to take us back again to the 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 Keely house, the Keely, or to that time, and I want us to. Think on some of the the social occasions, like you know, we've talked about work and carding and spinning and and walking and, and uh, rowing and all sorts. Um, but as well, some of the frivolity that was involved in the kind of merriment at uh, that was celebrated in communities, and of course, not you know, like you say, a living tradition. So for many many years, but something, some aspects have been forgotten along the way, and I'd like to think of kind of weddings and and death as well perhaps um two kind of areas that would be surrounded in in not just songs but also just um I don't want to say tradition to put a stamp on it but um just surrounded in practices mm-hmm. um so would would you have any any songs or any insight into what would happen with uh, if there was a wedding going on and, and some of the practices that would be involved? Yeah, so in terms of uh, weddings, I suppose there would be, it, again, it's ways of communities come together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you'd have, first of all, I suppose, the the betrothal. Mm-hmm. So in Reichach, mm-hmm. so it's that kind of uh, people coming together beforehand and having all sorts of uh, parties and kind of laughing and sharing and stories and so on. And then, I suppose, the other important event back then sounds uh, pretty awful, but the day or two before would be the killing of the hens. So when all the uh, people coming so that they'd be going to eat the hens, so they'd come, the women of the village would come to eat, uh, or to kill the hens. <laughs> to kill the hens. To kill the hens. Oh. Uh, so then that would lead to lots of frivolity, lots of stories yeah, as well. Yeah, I can imagine. And then that might mean that there would be a, a song composed or something like that. I've never heard of the killing of the hen. No, no, that's, that's, <laughs> the killing, that's the hen party. Uh, oh my goodness. Yeah, so I think oh, that wow. would mean, so they would come together to kind of kill the hens and uh, then they would eat the hens and so on. Oh, that's just blown my mind. 
yeah, so it's uh, those type of songs. And then, of course, at the wedding itself, there would be uh, just kind of different ways of uh, music and merriment. Mm-hmm. I suppose they weren't, uh, they would just be in, a, in our bar. I know the person, I think the, she lives in our, our village, so she got, the wedding was in our barn. In, in an old house barn, so people would just come yeah. to the to the place where they could yeah. uh, find a place where they could gather and have those kind of events. And in terms of uh, death, I suppose I'm, <laughs> I know a bit more about death. <laughs> there would be songs. First of all, there would be all the traditions about going clock, uh, clockwise or sunwise. Oh wow! Okay. So, if you're going to take the the, the body out of the house, you'd want to follow the path of good luck. So you'd go sunwise round the house. Oh, uh, wow, rather okay. than going anti-clockwise, which was kind of yep. ways of the wrong way, as it were. So you just want to keep things fine, dandy. So I suppose that again comes to that idea of love hirst and love hair, the wrong hand going, doing things the wrong way by going uh, against the sun. Yeah, right hand, left hand. Yeah, because I'm so, left-handed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always got a kiarak. Kiarak. Yeah. <laughs> so it's that idea of going things sunwise and. There's that whole yeah. tradition of, but also the pagan traditions. Yeah, but also there's uh, even Nan McKinnon on uh-huh. Bara uh, and Vatter say she talked about um, people that she didn't hear it herself, but the keening tradition. So people yeah. being, and in many ways they were paid to be professional mourners. So oh, if wow. somebody was worthy, uh, or they would often pay them beforehand. Uh, that they wanted someone to show how important they were to the community. They would get keeners to to wail as they were being... Now, the keeners, would they have been female? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So that was a, a female kind of job, as it were. Mm-hmm. So they, they would be paid and or they were professional keeners. They would uh, keen to show that how distraught they were when yeah. somebody had died and so on. So... There are these kind of traditions, but that those kind of traditions died out, even kind of mid eighteen hundreds, mm. um, partly because of I think the kind of the influence of the church and the churches that they didn't think that was appropriate. So um, really? that kind of tradition um, came of, of to an the end. keening and of the kind of the the sun. Elements and things. Well, like no, that. the sun kind of carried on. Oh, okay. So that would there's people talking on Tuplandolchish. Uh, Alistair Boyd, for example, mm-hmm. he talks on Tuplandolchish about um, going sunwise and Jishal. It's Jishal uh-huh. is going sunwise. Right. So that idea of um, just kind of doing things the correct way and taking the the body out of the house, then to the church, and then to the graveyard for burial, but doing everything sunwise. So you mm. might take longer, you ha- might have to walk around the house or you might have to walk around uh, different parts of the village to be able to do that. 
but mm. you would always do that. Never turn left. Never turn left. There's such beauty kind of attached to that. I think I think it, it what strikes me is it's so thoughtful and and also just coming through all of this, whether it's um the the social occasions or the work or the Cayley House or the Barsh Ballot or, or just all these elements coming together really at the heart of that is Koyersnach or community. And Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, Koyersnach and I was just I was gonna say it's it's every aspect of life. Yeah. So it's that idea that uh song is there from the moment you're born mm. to the moment of your death. Yeah. And everything in between has a soundtrack as well. And I think that's just really um it's good because we we all know the importance of singing and how good singing is for you mm-hmm. and singing as a community and they really did have that as part of their everyday lives it really managed to bond them and when you listen to some of the recordings of people having the most fantastic time singing together laughing shouting having the most fantastic time you think oh, there we we also have to remember of course they had very hard lives and uh, when we talk about the good old days, they were pretty hard days, mm. but there was there were some things that were absolutely fantastic. And one of those is the singing and how singing was so integral to their everyday lives. And I think that that is something that I feel very fortunate and very privileged that it's something that, and and I'm sure you do, that we can still really enjoy on a just experiencing it and enjoying it level, but also to sing and, and to perform it. Just it's lovely to have that opportunity to to revel in, in that feeling. Yeah, because it, it really can take you back to the time when the song was composed, mm-hmm. whether that be hundreds of years ago. It can take you back to your childhood, remembering people singing along to the same song. Mm-hmm. Or it can just take you to this very moment because the song's been composed very recently about somewhere all over the world and it can really take you there straight away. And I think that is the thing that is so important about folk songs in general, that people can join in, the stories mean things to people and it moves people. That's lovely. I think that that's just been, <laughs> oh, it's been a real pleasure to kind of chat over this with you and kind of um, just uh, just feel a bit of heart and soul for, for mm. those songs and for, you know, that living tradition and actually, you know, not not to be kind of harking back to the old days but recognising that yes there were these practices and yes there was this um, people's lives touched by song and um, but they weren't static. They weren't static but they weren't static exactly but also we still have this carrying stream today and and we're hopefully hopefully in a good place yeah for it so to I think we also have to remember that um, with Years of trying to kind of get rid of the Gaelic language and culture. They failed. We're still here. We're still here. We're still here. (laughs) Still singing. Yes. Still telling the stories. And I think that has to be celebrated. 
And uh, we could, in many ways, and we all love being modeling and saying, oh, it's terrible, terrible, terrible. But actually we're saying, it's amazing we're still here. Yeah. And we have to celebrate that. And where do we go forward? How do we go forward? That's brilliant. We do have to celebrate it and hopefully go forward. But, but song's a very strong vehicle for that. Absolutely. Well, more and more and thank. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I thank you so much for your conversation today and for your 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 thoughts and all your um, insight and knowledge in this. It's been a real pleasure. My heartfelt thanks to Gilibrija again for offering such an insight into the practices surrounding the Keighley House and also for his positive and encouraging thoughts on the continuation of Gaelic song compositions today. You can read more about Gilibrija's work on his website www.gilibrija.com and make sure to look out for his new album for the full version of that beautiful song we got a glimpse of. If you enjoyed this episode, then please do share and review it. Also, check out the other episodes in the series if you haven't already. Finally, if you haven't yet subscribed, then please do so. The background music you hear is taken from my album Urinta, which is available through my website www.deirdregraham.com as well as on the usual streaming platforms. Before I go, I'd like to extend my ever grateful thanks to Creative Scotland for supporting this project. We've got one more episode left of Gaelic Song Stories and I hope that you'll join me there the next time. Chun the Norshin, Bianach Blaive.